The author of a book entitled How to Murder Your Husband gets arrested for, allegedly, murdering her husband. Meanwhile, a nail salon puts out a mea culpa for doing something that's really, really bad for customer service. And the Walt Disney Company submits the best movie ever to be Best Picture. And you might be surprised what that movie actually is. Those three stories, great stories of the week. A lot of major stories happening this week, but not big enough to make into the top 10. Not quite cracking into 1 through 10 material. So what are some of the stories that did make it that high? We'll talk about that in just a bit here on the weekly wrap-up show from ThisIsTheConversation.com. And this is for the week ending September the 15th, 2018. And welcome back to the show. My name is Jay Cleveland Payne. I am the host for this show, the weekly wrap-up show that deals with all the shows from the week wrapped up that we present to you through our website, thisisaconversation.com, and our social media feeds where all the real action happens. Of course, everyone's on the social media. Facebook and Twitter are the main ones we use to get our votes from this. Although we do count votes from people who interact with the website as well, but it's very simple. We go out all week long and post links to stories across various venues, and we let you respond to them. However you like them, hate them, love them, share them, or respond to them, gets more juice to the story and more points, if you will, into the tally. At the end of the week, we tally them up in a spreadsheet, do some numbers, put some things together, shuffle the deck, and give you the 1 through 10, the top stories of the week. We'll also, in segment 2, round out the stories that didn't quite make it in there, the top 15 or 15, 12, 11 through 15, didn't quite make it into top 10 material, and go over what is the almost irrelevant story of the week, which is the lowest ranking based on the time frame from Friday-ish to Friday-ish. This week, week we got 117 distinct different types of stories so almost relevant 117 we'll talk about that in the second segment meanwhile let's get on with well let me back up just a second jay cleveland Payne said that already host of this is a conversation and this is a conversation.com's coverage of news said that already make sure you are following us on social media so that your vote counts so that your ideas are in there so that your tallies get in the tally facebook it's this is the conversation. Search for us there and make sure you set it so that we are by default inside of your feed. So you're seeing what's going on. And you can, can conversate with all the other great people who are in the conversation with the great stories. And on Twitter, it's very simple. TH underscore conversation. This is conversations kind of long for Twitter, but follow that as well. And all day, all the time, we're posting links to various things. Some of them breaking. Some of them take a little while to get there. Uh, but when you see a story that you enjoy or think you like, Share it with a friend, like it, love it, respond to it, and make sure you share this podcast along with the the feeds on social media with other people so we have greater conversations, bigger conversations with people uh, that are awesome, people that may not be so awesome, and people are just kind of taking up space. Sometimes it doesn't matter. We just need people to have a conversation with. And now with that said, let's get into things that do matter. What you said were the top 10 stories for this week, starting off with headline for story number 10. And this one is a bit of a downer. It's a real downer. It's a serious story. So just kind of have to go through this. They get much lighter as they go along, although we do have hurricane coverage. But stories will get lighter a lot as we go along in the top 10. Starting off with 10 story, man who brutally beat Tyler and watched him die gets hospitalized in Savage Prison Revenge attack. This we pulled from Newsweek. It happened on Saturday, at least you posted it on Saturday, September the 8th. Let's get you a couple lines from that story to give you more details on what happened. And you can judge however you want to feel about the actual incident. 
from Newsweek. An Australian man who brutally beat his 22-month-old stepson and watched him slowly die experienced some of the pain he inflicted on the toddler during a prison revenge attack. Last week, William Andrew O'Sullivan, 37, was sentenced to nine years in prison for the manslaughter of his partner, Anne-Marie Lee's 22-month-old son, Mason Lee, reported ABC News. That's the Australian ABC, of course. During his trial, O'Sullivan pleaded guilty for four charges, including manslaughter and cruelty to a child under 16 before the Queensland Supreme Court in Brisbane. While awaiting the outcome of his trial, O'Sullivan was attacked by two other inmates in the prison, his attorney Ruth O'Gorman told in court in Brisbane. The man, who described himself as a junkie, reportedly suffered a severely fractured skull after two other convicts stomped and kicked his head. After the incident, O'Sullivan was taken to a hospital where he was held and treated for 13 days. I think we have enough of the story there to get the gist of it. But we hear stories, unless you've actually been to some sort of maximum security prison, of things like that happening. People not being so great to people who do things to innocents, especially children. It's sort of ironic, if you will, the justice system taking justice on its own, if you will. Uh, but this is stories that we hear about a lot of times. Apparently, in this case here, it really was true. Let's move on to the next story. It gets uh, lighter eventually. This headline, shooting near Auburn University camp campus leaves one dead. Sunday, September the 9th was when we posted this story. This gets a bump in response from the number 10 story of 35.40%. So that many more people were into this one than the other one. Let's get into a couple lines from that story, if you will. We pulled this headline from CNN. The story was slightly updated, but we'll read what we have here. A shooting across the street from Auburn University campus early Sunday killed one person and wounded four others, three of them teens, in an incident that does not appear random, police in the southeast Alabama city said. The shooting happened hours after students had celebrated a win over Alabama State's football team Saturday evening. Auburn City Police received a report of gunfire about 2.24 a.m., 3.24 a.m. Eastern Time, on West Magnolia Avenue, a popular thoroughfare featuring bars and restaurants and forming the northern border of campus, which is home to about 30,000 students. Officers, quote, were already in the immediate vicinity of the call, dispersing a large crowd, unquote, according to a police news release. The emergency, University's emergency alert system sent a tweet around 4 a.m. informing students that there had been a shooting and wanted them to stay away from the area. A 20-year-old man from Tuskegee, 20 miles southeast of Auburn, was found dead at the scene, having suffered apparent gunshot wounds, police said. Also shot were two males, 16 and 17, and a 19-year-old woman, all from neighboring Opelika, as well as a 21-year-old Auburn University student from Hilton Head, South Carolina, according to police. The 16-year-old was flown to a hospital in Columbus, Georgia with serious injuries. The other victims suffered non-life-threatening injuries and were taken to the hospital in Opelika, police said. So this was a very serious incident happening. As one often suspects, things get a little rowdy after a good football game, and this is apparently what happened. We, One person died in an incident, so that's a very sad thing. And these are things that are never going to stop because we're not going to stop having football games, and it won't stop being... We'll say stupidity after some events, uh, but these are things that are easily avoided. So think about that next time you're in a situation where you can easily avoid such things and find a way to extricate yourself from those situations. 
Let's move on to story number eight. CBS The Talk tackles Les Moonves without his wife, Julie Chen. Posted on Monday, September the 10th. We posted that story then. It gets a bump response, just a slight tick up, 0.65%, not even a full percentage point up from that story. Let's give you a couple lines from the headline that we pulled. Obviously, this was a pretty big deal. Les Moonves leaving CBS and then The Talk coming back on Monday without Julie Chen, his wife, who many believe it still has a job at CBS because that's who she is. Let's go on to some lines from the story we pulled from the Daily Beast. When it came time for CBS this morning to talk about Leslie Moonves, this partial from the network following a series of sexual harassment and assault allegations on Monday morning, anchor Nora O'Donnell spoke directly and clearly about the, quote, courage that it takes for women to come forward and talk about this. A few hours later, it was the talk's turn. The CBS daytime talk show was co-hosted by Moonves' wife, Julie Chen, but she was nowhere to be seen when it kicked off its ninth season on Monday. Last month, the, on the first set of allegations emerged, when the first set of allegations emerged, Chen briefly addressed the situation on air, saying she would stand by her husband, quote, today, tomorrow, forever, unquote. In a subsequent statement today, she said, quote, I am taking a few days off from the talk to be with my family. I'll be back soon and we'll see you Thursday night on Big Brother. There you go. So it left it up to the host of the talk to talk about the, the, the remaining host to talk to talk about the less movement situation. And it's something that they were a bit nervous about. And but they were, you know, honest about it and kind of went through it as professionally as they could. It's um, as many people believed it was interesting time and that Julie Chen would not be there for a the premiere of the show and b for the big show after the talk of the talk. Uh, she did have a presence on her next episode of Big Brother uh, speaking to the crowd and I guess you could say sort of a coded message saying that she's got her husband's back, which she has been saying out front the whole time. So whatever you follow on the side of this situation or in the full side of the Me Too movement itself, this thing is having legs. This issue is going to be around for a while. I'm seeing more and more cases of Women in the women's movement and people coming forward after a long time of suffering, coming back to haunt many men who did not treat those women well in the beginning. So that's something to look for, look to towards moving on if you hadn't figured out for what your past. If you've been good enough so far, make sure you stay even better because things do matter and consequences, as we see, are actually starting to be felt. Let's move on to the next story, number seven headline, which is really long and convoluted, but this is what you guys want to talk to. Who is Daniel Kulbobluck? I totally butchered it. Don't particularly care, but we'll keep going. Pop singer and reality TV star missing from cruise ship. Intensive church search underway. We posted this on September the 10th as well. A bump of response from the eight story of 25.32%. Let's go to some lines on this guy because I have no idea who he is, so we might as well read it from the story. Authorities are searching for a German pop singer and reality TV star who vanished from his cruise ship cabin while near the coast of Canada. Daniel Kubelek, which I'm totally going to butcher completely, 33, rose to national fame in 2003 as one of the runners-up in Germany's first edition of Deutschland's Searchstück Superstar. Germany searches for its superstar, the country's answer to talent show American Idol. The, the singer was reportedly on board the AIDA alumna ship, Hailing from Hamburg, Germany, to New York this month, but staff could not look at him on Sunday, despite visiting his lodgings and asking him to come forward via the loudspeaker system. 
An intensive search involving the Canadian Coast Guard is now underway. Ada Cruz's told Associated Press amid the reality TV personality felt overboard. Amid fears, the reality TV personality felt overboard. Quote, this is our suspicion, unquote, said a spokesman for the company added. Kubalek was traveling for leisure, not as part of the onboard entertainment. So I do apologize for butchering the young man's name. And I do apologize for maybe the couple of giggles in the reading of this because it's a very serious situation. But the ship went back to the area where they thought he was in the water and searched for him. And apparently no one can find the young man. Um, if you are um, a fan of his, you may have also seen him in the German editions of things like I Am a Celebrity, Get Out of Here, Their Big Brother, and Dance with the Stars. So essentially, he's done all the the starry things he can do being a mid-level pop star in Germany. And just on a cruise vacation, we're not sure what happened. So hopefully we'll find a better answer to this as the answer we got right now ain't so great. Now, let's move on to the next story. This is going to be headline number six. Uh, Oregon stripper goes viral for disgusting racist rampage. Posted this last night as we posted, as we record this Thursday, September the 3rd. Uh, got a bumper response from the last story of 3.11%. We have a couple stories that got in, snuck in with some late, late postings. And we'll talk about that in the housekeeping section in segment two. But let's read a couple lines from the story we have for this one as well. We go to a website called Coed, although this was posted all over the place. This was a viral thing that happened. This is the link that we were able to pull and put up there. Sierra Don Mizell has been identified as a woman in a viral video out of Portland, Oregon, that shows Mizell being racist. Mizell, a stripper from Newburgh, Oregon, was recorded making racist remarks. The video, which is about 30 seconds long, was uploaded to Facebook on Wednesday, September the 12th. Before you say anything, you might want to make sure you're actually legals. Mizell can be heard saying in the now viral video. Uh, we're not going to read more of the video. You can go look her up on your own. Whether Canadian strippers are a thing for you or Oregon strippers. I'm sorry. Sorry, Canadian strippers. We're busting on Oregon strippers today. Uh, whether that's a thing for you, I don't know. I don't care. And why people would say really stupid things when cameras are everywhere, I don't know. And I care because it brings me more entertainment. It's all about content and Good content, bad content, horrible content is content. So thank you, Miss Marcells, for doing what you do and giving me content. Let's move on. One more step to the five story this week. Huge gas line explosion causes fire evacuations in Beaver County, Pennsylvania. Monday, September the 10th was posted, and this was a uh, big one. A jump, jump in response to 3.02% from the sixth story. Uh, not sure if anyone really has a care in the main scope of things on what goes on in Beaver County, Pennsylvania. But this was a massive breaking news story that was all over the Internet on that morning. We're going to go back to the story, the source where we pulled, and we're going to give you what is a, basically a slightly updated story from the time, but here's what we have. Center Township, um, Pennsylvania. A massive methane gas pipeline explosion rocked Beaver County early Monday, sending a huge fireball into the sky and prompting the evacuation of more than two dozen homes. It was just before 5 a.m., I heard a gigantic whoosh, Gary Saccone, who lives on Ivy Lane, said. I looked out of the bedroom window, and it was daylight outside. Chuck Belzik lives a few doors away. I saw the ball of flames above the trees, and it was easily 150, 200 feet up in the air. It was serious, he said. 
the, the emergency transfer corps 24 inch pipeline was pumping out a blowtorch effect for more than an hour. When Center Township firefighters arrived at Ivy Lane, they headed straight for the fireball. Quote, they realized when the resident of 725 uh, met them coming up the driveway, they knew there was no reason to advance any further and immediately went to evacuation. Uh, Chief Fire Chief Bill Bruckner said on that one. So this was a very serious, quick thing happened. Hopefully, um, most of the people are doing fine at this point. Uh, no loss of lives, as far as I know, from this thing. Just a lot of evacuations, a lot of very scary things going on. It's really amazing with this podcast and with the uh, social media reach we have, the stories that make it to the top 10, the stories make it as popular stories for this podcast, for this grouping. In fact, we know we get the randomish international thing. That's what we're going to say is the reason for the story about the German pop singer who is missing from the cruise ship. And we get some sort of very weird, very odd things from, you know, at odd times. When we post odd international stories at odd times for us in the States, and they get run for people who are on the Twitter and Facebook that late at night. Uh, so it's amazing. It's it's a testament to the real reach of the people in the group and the real reach in diversity, just the people who like these stories and what they're looking for. This one was very big and blew up, no pun intended, quickly on social media uh, that morning as it was going on. We posted it because it was breaking, and it stayed long enough to stay in the top ten for this week. Let's move up one more step. Naomi Osaka beats Serena Williams in U.S. Open final. Hard time to read that. It was a hard time dealing with the story as well. This was seriously breaking news on Saturday, September the 8th, as many news outlets broke into the story for what happened. A very deep, detailed, and disturbing story in its own. We're going to go to our source for this one. We went to SB Nation, and the headline there, as posted actually on the website, is Naomi Osaka beats Serena Williams in penalty marred U.S. Open final. Let's get to some of the details. Naomi Osaka won the U.S. Open, taking down 23-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams in the final on Saturday. 6-2, 6-4. Osaka, 20, is the first Japanese woman to win a Grand Slam, and she did it by beating one of the absolute best. 20-year-old's victory may have been overshadowed by chair umpire Carlos Ramos and Williams' argument throughout the match. Ramos noticed that Patrick Montagu, Williams' coach, was gesturing towards her and called a penalty for coaching. Williams was visibly heated as she stopped to talk to Ramos, claiming, I didn't cheat to win, I'd rather lose. Coaching isn't allowed during a match, albeit this is something that frequently occurs without punishment. Williams' frustration only grew from there, resulting in her breaking a racket. Then Williams called Ramos a thief. That's a quote from her during another argument in which Ramos charged verbal abuse, her third conduct violation in the game penalty, nearly unprecedented in a Grand Slam final. ESPN asked Montagu about the coaching penalty. He gave a response that, yes, he was coaching because that's what they do. No one normally gets punished for it. Before accepting her trophy, Terry Adesaka said, I know everyone's cheering for her. I'm sorry that it had to end like this. Thank you for watching the match. This became a really, really, really big deal this week. Uh, it goes to the mark of not quite Me Too on the sexual harassment part, but uh, basically fairness in gender equality. People asked whether this was an issue because Venus Williams was famous, whether she had an attitude, whether it was because she was black, or whether it really was because she was a woman. Now, we do know 
There are various cases of men's coaches, essentially all coaches, doing hand signs and signals, doing some coaching from the stands, which, of course, actual coaching is illegal, but implied coaching happens all the time, and no one gets called on it. And, of course, men have blow-ups all the time. It's, 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 in fact, it's sort of expected from certain people as part of their personalities to just get heated and yell and scream at the judges. No one ever gets penalized, especially in a big-time match like that. So how it got to be such an issue is one thing. But the fact it's an issue, it's an issue. When things are an issue, they are issues, and they should be dealt with accordingly. Now, many fall on both sides of the line. Many people think that Venus was a bit off and did deserve to be punished. Maybe not so much, but punished. Many people just believe that everyone else gets away with it. Why are you punishing Venus at this point in time? This is an answer to a question we probably may not ever know, uh, but we do know this. Venus Williams has not won a major title since returning back from maternity leave, and it's probably just a matter of time for it to happen. This one probably was going to go her way eventually. Uh, we'll see what happens as she continues to play. She, of course, is the dominant Williams sister at the moment and one of the tops in tennis, period, for all time. Let's move ahead to the number three story for the week. Here's the headline. Trump cuts $25 million in aid for Palestinians in East Jerusalem hospitals. We pulled this off of Reuters on Saturday, uh, the 8th of September, and it gets a 7.31% jump from the four story. A couple lines from the story, as we said, from the Reuters. U.S. President Donald Trump has ordered that $25 million earmarked for the care of Palestinians in East Jerusalem hospitals be directed elsewhere as part of a review of aid, State Department officials said on Saturday. Trump called for a review on U.S. assistance to the Palestinians early this year to ensure that the funds were being spent in accordance with national interests and were proving value to taxpayers. Quote, as a result of that review, at the direction of the president, we will be redirecting approximately $25 million originally planned for the East Jerusalem Hospital Network, State Department officials said. Those funds will go to high-priority projects elsewhere. Not sure where the elsewhere is, but that's where we're going. The aid cut is the latest in a number of actions by the Trump administration to have alienated the Palestinians, including the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. So... Think of what you want to think about for President Donald Trump. You may agree with this situation because maybe the aid needs to be reviewed. You may disagree because it was going to the Palestinians in the hospital and why should they suffer whatever's going on in Trump's head. It happened, and we're going to have to move on with that. The number two story is a super story. However, comma, uh, this was going to be pretty big regardless of adding the two together. We'll talk about how it got added and where it shifted in the lessons learned and the housekeeping section in segment two. We're going to go with the big headline, the newest headline, almost $200,000, 200000 without power as Hurricane Florence lashes North Carolina coast. That posted literally this morning, a few hours before we started working on this as the eye hit the coast a few hours ago. We posted a original headline on Sunday when Hurricane was upgraded to, uh, I think, a four at that point, and they were looking at when it was going to hit the East Coast. And that, of course, happened today on Friday as we record this. This was a top-ranked story on Twitter and uh, obviously a big story all over the place. And it will be a big story to come as the storm is just now arriving, dealing with it and moving very slowly um, down, oddly enough, the Carolina coast. Normally these things, uh, as people explain, 
bump off of Florida, bounce back into the ocean, and then eventually kind of roll their way up the Carolinas. That way they don't necessarily hit for major damage and then kind of go back in the ocean. This time it literally made a turn straight for North Carolina and kind of dog itself downwards, and it's moving very slowly. So it hit, and it's just going to kind of churn and churn and churn. A lot of rain and water already in the area. Now the actual flood and rush of the seawater from the eye hitting is going to cause a lot of damage and a lot of issues with extra water and extra wind for a while. We'll see its actual path. Of course, we have to actually watch it go down. But so far, still directed to just kind of kind of glean the coast from north to South Carolina and Virginia or so. We'll see how that works out. Personally, I have family and friends, a lot of them in the area there. So I'm, of course, keeping up with them as best as possible. Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to everyone out there dealing with all these types of storms because hurricane season in full effect. And, of course, the people dealing with Florence right now. No joke, serious storm. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to evacuate the area from danger if you live near there. And if you don't, please be safe. We need you here and we need you as a part of the audience in the conversation moving forward. Now, let's get to the top story this week. Now, we'll do more about this in the in the housekeeping section. But if this is fake news, I want all my news to be fake because this is the most awesomest number one headline of the world. It is the top Facebook story. We posted on Friday, September the 7th. It gets a bumper response from the 10 story, which was the man who got beaten in prison after beating his child of 189%. Yes, that much more from there. 17.2% from the story, the super story on Hurricane Florence, and 2,080% from the almost relevant story, 117 this week. Headline, people who point out grammar mistakes are jerks, science says. Yes, I agree. 3,000%. I may read this whole story, but we pulled it off a blog site, but it says it's posted from an actual science study. So I don't care. You guys liked it. I like it. We're going to read it. Are you one of those people who just can't resist pointing out other people's grammatical mistakes while showing off your impressive grammar knowledge? Are you a person who always points out the difference between there, there, and there? And you get a heart attack when someone writes your Y-O-U-R instead of Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. If you are, science says you are a jerk. A study from the University of Michigan discovered that those people who are grammar police are in fact huge jerks. And their behavior is a result of certain personality traits that they possess. For example, extroverted people tend to overlook grammatical mistakes and typos, while introverted ones are prone to judge harshly those people who make grammatical mistakes. The study includes 83 participants who were asked to read email responses to an ad for a roommate. Some emails were changed on purpose to include typos, such as A-B-U-O-T, about, M-K-A-E, make, or grammar mistakes, such as it's, it's, you know, the one with and without the apostrophe, your, your, we said that one already, and T-O and T-O-O. Then the participants were asked whether they noticed the mistakes. Those who said yes were asked to elaborate the answer. The researchers found a correlation between agreeability and sensitivity to errors. Namely, those participants who got the most disturbed with the mistakes were said to be the least agreeable ones. Contrary to them, people who are more agreeable personalities were more likely to overlook mistakes and typos. Agreeability is a set of psychological measurements, but also as the BFI, Big Five Personality Index, 
and people are agreeable, are, are described as genuine, trusting, cooperative, and sympathetic. Contrary to them, sim- sympathetic, sorry about that. Contrary to, the, to them, those who are not agreeable are described as cold and aggressive. We can go on from there, but basically all I just need to say is, if you are a grammar Nazi, you are a jerk, and we have proof. This may be the fakest news story ever to be posted by our, our website here, but I don't care. This tells me exactly what I want to hear, and if that's the case, more fake – no, we're not going to say more fake news now. But basically, I'm all down with research that tells me that people who are pointing out my grammar mistakes are jerks because I can live with that. And there you go. There you have it. Ten to one. Counting them down. Counting the hits down uh, from the bottom to the top. We have the top ten stories for the week ending September the 15th, 2018. So what do you think about what we had this week? Because it's all about what you think. Simple. Go to the website and contact us there via thisisaconversation.com or email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com and let us know what we can do to add to the situation or maybe subtract from the situation. Of course, this is all because of you and what you responded to via Facebook and Twitter and a little bit of the website. So to make sure that the responses you put in for the upcoming weeks are just as valid, Follow us on Twitter, TH underscore conversation. Follow us on Facebook at This is a Conversation. Make sure you set us so that we are in your feed so you see our stories. And when the stories come through that we post from different places, just react to them, like them, love them, hate them, share them, respond to them, do what you want to do. But the higher the response per story, the higher the count they go in and they make the interior for awesomeness, including the awesome story that people who are grammar Nazis are pretty much jerks. In the meantime, I'm going to stop calling you jerks and call you great friends that I love you very much because I love you for being here, grammar Nazis or not. Coming up in just a bit, we will go to the almost relevant story of the week, round out the top 15, and tell you some hits and misses about how things worked out this week. Plus, shout outs. Hang on tight. Quick commercial break, and we'll get to the other stuff to wrap things up for. This is the Conversation's weekly wrap-up show for the week ending September the 15th, 2018. I've been singing the praises of Cloud9 Living for a while now, but why trust me? We can trust real people, although I'm a real person, that have real interest in this, people who've used the service themselves. Here are some reviews. I'll say right now, there are five-star reviews, but this is some of the great things that Cloud9 Living has produced for other folks. Joyce Luttrell says, I was very pleased with your service. I ordered a gift for my daughter and son-in-law for their anniversary. Your staff is arranging to send an email on a Friday, and I am excited for them to receive the gift. Your service was excellent. This one from Minnesota Nice. Hey, Minnesota Nice. Easy to navigate, ease of selection and payment, immediately email vouchers and receipts. Great selection or experiences. I will be back. Natalie says, we very helpful and quick service. It's an easy way to purchase an amazing experience for my husband's 30th birthday. Aw, that's sweet. And there's plenty more where those came from if you go to Cloud9 Living and you can find out what you need to get the bang, get the thing. There are great excursions, some of them exotic, some of them pretty calm, but they're all the great things that you could do as to knock off your bucket list. And if you don't want to go or if you want to send it to someone else on their way because it's a great gift, you can buy gift certificates so that they can go and pick their own excursion. It could be golfing. It could be hot air ballooning. It could be driving race cars. It could be 
submarining. If you want to do a submarine, they've got something for you. Check out Cloud9 Living for the best experiences on the planet and check out our website link. This is the conversation.com slash cloud9. That's numeral nine. So you get a great extra gift when you buy a gift card from Cloud9 Living. Check it out today. They're all over the place. There's a city near you with a great experience that you can go to right now. Helicopters, fast cars, rapid racings, or just wine tastings. Wine tasting is about my speed. Check them out today. Find out more details and get a great discount by going to thisistheconversation.com slash cloud9. Thisistheconversation.com slash cloud9. That, of course, the numeral nine. Ghost stories, unsolved mysteries, and other stories of the strange and bizarre. I'm Darren Marlar, the host of Weird Darkness. I'm always looking for stories of the paranormal, macabre, supernatural, dark, and creepy. Stories from you. Sit back, turn down the lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness. Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at WeirdDarkness.com. Let's start segment two with some shout outs. Starting off on the Facebook side, the usual suspects are in full effect. Kate Barnett, who's sharing the love and sharing the ideas, sharing the stories with family members. Rick G. Satin also popping up, um, liking links. Uh, Charles Johnson, Maldonado Slim in the house. Of course, Daniel Williams with some very intent commentary on some as well. Also, a few names in here for the week John Johnson and uh, Ty Nway which I've totally butchered again, also having some likes, loves inside of the conversation. You can get shout outs for Facebook by just responding to the cut out, shouting to responding to the stories in the Facebook feed as they come through. Same way for Twitter, same way for Twitter. Words aren't working so well in the mouth today. A couple of shout outs for people on the Twitter include Karen C and Pod Score, who just started following us in the near future or near past. Thank you for that. Kim Foley as well. Amy Hale giving some shout out love to us. Mary, Chris Rowley, I said them already. And of course, famous birthdays as we shout out famous birthdays along the way. If you want to get in on the shout out for Twitter, you know, respond to something on Twitter. Do something awesome that way as well. Now, some of the housekeeping. The biggest thing we have to worry about this week is the one super story. The super story is for Hurricane Florence, which came in at number two with the combined number. Now, the two numbers separately, which was first that Florence was being upgraded, happening on Sunday and Fridays, as we're speaking now, literally the story this morning on the people out of power as the storm hits the actual coast. Uh, the the one for this morning was already number three by itself. The one for the the upgrade from Sunday was in the top fifteen. Together, it pushed it up just basically one spot to the two spot. It did move it up. Yes, it did make a real movement, but it basically took that extra one and just added a little extra padding and made it more or less in the same vein where it was. So that's the biggest issue for this week on the super stories. The other slightly issue. I have to be a little honest with you on that number one story this week headline. People who point out grammar mistakes are jerks. I, I it, it, it we 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 pulled it off something that was trending 
and we put it in there to see what happened. And lo and behold, it blew up. And so it made it legitimate. We checked it out. The study, as far as we can tell, is real. And yes, a sample size of 83 people does not really give you full blown details of, you know, the jerk factor. But I have an issue with grammar Nazis and with people who don't like the grammar in some of my writing, which I like to think is seasoning. I like to think it's just my style and they just like using red ink. So there, that's why it's the number one story this week, because you made it there and we're pretty sure if it's fake or not, we sort of like it. So let's go on to uh, wrapping up more news stories, just six more stories to talk about today. We're going to read a bit from the Almost Relevant story, which headline is, What America's Mayors Think About Domino's Pothole Paving Publicity Stunt. Posted on Monday, September the 10th, as we told you, it was 2,080% less popular, less reactive than the number one story this week. And this was out there pretty early, so that tells you how big things were this week. But... If you've seen the commercials on TV, Domino's has this truck that they go around. Apparently, you call them. You say, I have a pothole. And they'll take this truck and they'll pave your pothole. Something the city's not getting it done. They'll take care of it so that you don't have a bumpy ride for your pizza. Here's a story about what the mayors of America actually think about the stunt, which apparently is not actually a stunt. They're actually paving potholes. For over two months now, Pizza Giant Domino's has dipped its toes into the world of urban renewal. Back in June, the company announced it would help a handful of American cities and towns fix some of their chronic pothole problems. Quote, we don't want to lose any great tasting pizza to a pothole during a wonderful meal. Unquote. That came from the press release. In the Paving for Pizza program, that's what it's called, Domino's handed over cash to municipalities across America. Cities arranged for workers to repair cracks and potholes, and a Domino's logo was spray painted on some of the newly smothered streets. Predictably, the public came in droves. The program proved to be an irresistible combination of feel-good charity story and unusual gimmick. And last week, Domino's directly upsized their effort, refusing to let easy viral advertising go to waste. Through its Paving for Pizza website, it encouraged submissions and promised to choose one city or town in every state to benefit from $5,000 to be used for road repairs. Now, those submissions can be due by anybody, done by anyone, including elected city council officials. So people who are elected and paid by a municipality can elect to get Domino's Pizza to fix the roads they are not fixing. I say mayors like pizza people who fix their roads. Quickly through the headlines from the 11 through the 15 stories, stories not quite in the top 10. Uh, from the T's, author of How to Murder Your Husband Arrested for Allegedly Killing Her Husband. This actually happened um, and happened, at least we posted it on Wednesday, September the 12th. So not that that's necessarily foreshadowing, but if you're going to write a book about killing your spouse, you might not want to try to kill your spouse. Maybe it's a little bit too on the nose. I don't know. That's me talking. A romantic suspense novelist who once penned an essay entitled How to Murder Your Husband has been charged with killing her husband, Dan Broby. Police in Portland, Oregon arrested Nancy Crampton Proby, 68, last Wednesday and charged her with murder and the unlawful use of a weapon. Her husband, a 63-year-old chef, was fatally shot in a kitchen at the Oregon Culinary Institute on June the 2nd, the Oregonian reported. On the day after the murder, the author of self-published novels The Wrong Husband and The Girl Most Likely Too took to Facebook to express her disbelief. You can see that there. Crampton Broby has since made her now-famous essay, How to Murder Your Husband, private. It was published on the C. Jane published blog and reportedly included sections on motives and possible weapons. 
there you go. You might not want to deal with those things if you're going to deal with those things. The couple was reportedly married, although maybe not so happily, for over 26 years. Oscar De La Hoya, the boxer and promoter and businessman, says he's seriously considering a run for president. He says that. We'll see how that works out. We know more people than not are actually running for president that may or not be qualified, but we'll see how that actually runs. Fox News had the story that we posted. Former boxing champion Oscar De La Hoya said Monday he's considering adding another title to his collection, Leader of the Free World. Quote, I'm actually very, very serious and strongly feel that if Kanye West can do it and announce that maybe tease the world that he would maybe one day want to run for president, why not me? The fighter turn promoter said in the video released by TMZ. So who knows? Maybe Kanye West may actually run for president. Maybe Oscar De La Hoya may run for president. Maybe my six-year-old daughter may run for president. Pretty much anybody is qualified. Hit the age limit and you're good. And I mean, no actual experience in running anything apparently is necessary. Although he has some actual experience, so maybe that might uh, tip the scales in his ends. If Kanye can do it, why not Oscar? Why not? Also not making it into the top 10 this week, this story we pulled off for People.com. Nail Salon apologizes for denying service to women because she weighs over 250 pounds. A South Carolina nail salon is making amends when they turned away a woman because she weighed over 250 pounds. Amanda Wolfenbarger went to Nail Spa in Conway, South Carolina for a pedicure and said a man took her over to a chair and had to soak her feet for 10 minutes before returning to ask how much she weighed. It was embarrassing, Wolfenbarger told WMBF News, when you get that knot in your stomach and your heart drops a little. After she told him her weight, Wolfenbarger said he politely he pointed to a sign that stated, we are not accepting any person over 250 pounds for pedicure service. Sorry. Why even sit me, she questioned afterwards. There was more tactful way of approaching someone than he could have explained at the counter. People reached out to the nail salon for comment. Didn't get any, but according to WMBF, Tia Boy, the owner of Nail Spa, was immediately apologetic and talked to Wolfenberger in the parking lot. Boy said that the policy is in place because the chairs have a weight limit and they want their customers to be able to safely sit in the chairs. So there you go. Customer service issue not handled very well. We'll probably see how that one runs through because this will probably take a little time to catch up, but it'll probably be a bigger story in the media coming down the line. Apple Inc. bans Alex Jones for, quote, questionable content. Now, how it took them to figure out that his content was questionable, at least took this long, who knows. But Apple joining the bandwagon, the cadre of big-time tech people who are seeing the free speech issue that Alex Jones is pushing and pushing Alex Jones to the side. Alex Jones, known for uh, his talk about the Sandy Hook shootings and various bombings and getting the Pizzagate guy all riled up. It gets really confusing, really weird. But Alex Jones has now had his Infowars and his personal sites, all his podcast stuff, essentially banned from Apple, period. We'll see how the bands go. He's still fairly popular, still on many radio stations. And I just saw the most amazing I hate to you know, prop the guy up, but the most amazing interview with him um, done by Valuetainment. It's a channel on YouTube. You should follow it. You should see it. Look for it. It's a two-hour interview of Alex Jones rambling like a crazy person and the host just saying, you know, seriously, why are you doing Why are you doing this to yourself? And then Alex Jones continuing to do it to himself. 
And finally, Disney submits Black Panther for Best Picture Oscar. Hard to say. Maybe I'm getting choked up by the thought about it. But Black Panther, one of the greatest Marvel movies ever and maybe the greatest movie ever, uh, so say me because I'm a bit biased, is getting a lot of buzz for the award season, a lot of Oscar buzz anyway. And maybe, just maybe, it could pull off this big hit here. Now, Disney knows what it has. So many people resonated with the movie, the movie that was the, the story right before The Avengers 4, which, of course, made everybody sad. But Black Panther, which sold a lot of positivity, a lot of beautiful landscapes, and a lot of just great goodwill for a story that was essentially 90% black in the cast, a story of an African country, and a story of a mid-level, mid-range comic book character that is gaining popularity across the world and a lot of new love for the character in the actual comics. I'm not sure whether Black Panther is really going to hit that Best Picture Oscar win. The qualifications are a little squirrely on that end, but it was a pretty good picture, so why not put it up for Best? We'll see how that works out. And we'll see how it works out next week. We do more from you guys with This Is The Conversation. And as we say every single week, this only works when you are here to work it. So thank you for being a part of the ride. We cannot do it without you. Make sure you follow us on the Facebook and the Twitter and our main website as well. That is, of course, thisistheconversation.com. Facebook, it is look for This Is The Conversation. Make sure we're set to look in your feed, please. And TH underscore conversation for your Twitter feed. Make sure you like, love, hate, share, and just dispense all the stories that you see in our feed so that more people get into it. Share the Facebook, share the Twitter, share the podcast with friends, enemies, and just random people on the street so we get more people in this thing. And of course, be here next week for more great fun in the podcast and all week long for great fun in the feeds from thisistheconversation.com. 